Hello, everyone, and welcome to HR Works, the podcast for HR professionals. We really appreciate you taking time out of your busy day to join us. I'm the host of HR Works, Jim Davis, and the editor of the HR Daily Advisor. I've personally read and published a number of articles detailing why veterans make good hires, and that is still true. Unfortunately, there is a related group of candidates that often get overlooked, and that is military spouses. In this episode, we are going to discuss this issue with HR experts and military spouses, and some military spouses who are HR experts. Our first guest is Lita Citrion, founder of Lita360. A leader in reputation management and personal branding, Lita has worked with hundreds of international business leaders, entrepreneurs, and professionals, designing and promoting authentic, passionate, and intentional reputation strategies that drive results. She also focuses on building up veteran and military spouse talent. We are also joined by Tina Flores, SPHR, and 16-year military spouse. Tina knows all about the struggles that military spouses face as she's seen and lived it all. She had to give birth twice without her husband present. She had to let go of her former life during a move. Uh, The new state didn't recognize her former state's law school. And it's safe to say she's been married to a man who has been home less than he's been away. More recently in her career, she has been focused on the more human side of business and has found her happy place in human resources. She's been performing HR-ish roles since 2011, but has recently made it her mission to focus on this niche as sourcing, cultivating, training, and reviewing teams is where she belongs. And finally, we are also joined by Kayla Eberhardt. She is Program Coordinator Entrepreneurship at the Institute for Veterans and Military Families. She is responsible for the coordination and support of objectives related to the growth of the Coalition for Veteran Businesses, also known as the CVOB and the Center of Excellence in Veteran Entrepreneurship, also known as the COE. Kayla brings a unique perspective to her role through her knowledge as both a former military spouse and daughter of a veteran entrepreneur. Thank you so much, Lita, Tina, and Kayla for joining me today. Thanks for having me. Thank you, Jim. Absolutely. Let's jump right in. The HR perspective on military spouses, what are the common challenges and what are the myths? Well, I'll start from my perspective, Um, not being prior military or or even having a direct military connection. um, I I think the the myths and misperceptions, implicit biases that military spouses are experiencing, and obviously we'll hear from from two uh, women who are living that life, are, are mapping very closely to the ones that we see veterans experiencing with a few differences, right? This is an untraditional career path. Um... There's, there are things they have to leave off, uh, locations perhaps that they've uh, resided or choices that they've had to make. Those things don't show up on a resume. Similar to what a veteran brings to the workplace in terms of certain character traits and values and, um, and skills, military spouses often map those same character traits, values, and skills, but they don't get to put United States Army or United States Marine Corps on a resume. So it's confusing for a hiring manager who might see a spotty resume or stops and starts, lack of completed certifications or credentials, and not understand why this person who's presenting as a candidate hasn't followed through. And because there's no understanding, sometimes those candidates get looked over. Um, But I just want to start off and, and just share my tremendous appreciation for the men and women who both serve as military spouses and oftentimes are veterans themselves because they really are unsung heroes. Um, I, I had it said to me years ago that by a spouse who said, you know, we're not the ones the camera focuses on when our, our soldiers are coming home or when there's a reuniting. It's typically the person who served in uniform. So these really are our heroes that are serving out of uniform. Lita, you made a great point about how we can't put that credential on our resume because it's not really a credential for us. Um, And I think as a former military spouse, my husband was in the Marine Corps for seven years. Um, The, I think Deloitte just released an article saying that the military um, spouse unemployment rate is seven times higher than the national average. And speaking to the myths, I think it's a common misperception that employers, um, the ROI on employing military spouses is lower. And I think that's a huge misconception because speaking from experience, military spouses that I knew of along with myself, we typically work 10 times harder. 
than um, our counterparts, typically because we're trying to um, build this incredible resume in such a short period of time. So we mm. want to get as much on there as we possibly can. So I, you know, following Lita's, Lita's point on that. And, and Tina, do you have anything to add? I agree with both ladies. I think that some of the myths and, and um, misperceptions is that we're just going to leave or we're, there, there's, there's a lot of negative ideas out there about military spouses, mostly surrounded leaving because something that we tend to do. Um, and there, those kind of things should be seen as a positive in most cases, because although it might be a two to four year stay, those two to four year stays have added up up until this point. We might have done two to four years in California, two to four years in New York, and now here we are in Texas, and we have those well-rounded experiences from those two to four years doing a little bit of this and a little bit of that to add to the company. So although it's not a lifelong stay, the times that we stay with our husbands at the duty stations very much mirrors the amount of time that normal American employees stay at their companies anyway. Yeah, it's very true. I mean, um, some, depending on what sector you're in, some people, the turnover, average turnover is a year and a half. You know, there's no guarantees when you hire somebody. So it does seem seem a little silly to to put that cap on it and say this talent isn't worth it because they're definitely going to leave, you know, in two to four years. Um, we're in a unique position here where, you know, all of you have um, HR expertise and knowledge and, you know, most of you have uh, military experience um, as being military spouses. I, I want to look at this from from both perspectives. Uh, for those of you that are fulfilling an HR role, how has your, you know, Tina and Kayla, how has your role as a military spouse influenced your role as an HR professional? For me, I definitely look beyond just the piece of paper resume. Of course, there are things that I have to see for certain roles, for certain positions. There's a certain education requirement. There's a certain experience requirement. But I definitely feel that having lived my life, moving around, having to leave certain educations behind, leave careers behind, and seeing my peers do the same, I try to have a more holistic look at the candidates as opposed to a checkbox way of thinking. I want to see what other skills they can bring to the table, what their sometimes hodgepodge of experience, a little bit of this, a little bit of that here, there, everywhere. How are, how can they verbalize to me what value that adds? And when they can do that, wow, done, send them the offer letter. <laughs> have you, um, before we get to your response, Kayla, Tina, have you, had to talk with, you know, um, upper management about this approach of yours? Have you had to sort of get them to understand your perspective? It hasn't had to have been a conversation because luckily I've worked for places where they've trusted my judgment and it was kind of my desk's responsibility to, to handle the hiring. So I really haven't had to convince anybody of that, but should the need arise, I would definitely be able to verbalize and, and show and communicate why that method is a better investment for the company. And Kayla, what do you think about all this? Um, not ever being in an HR role professionally, I do have to say I am extremely grateful for professionals like Tina who are in those positions. Um, who are looking at our resumes at a more holistic level, because I know from my experience, um, I'm extremely conscious, especially when my husband was in, extremely conscious of how I design my resume to make me not look so military-centered, which it's hard when, you know, I graduated in North Carolina, and then I moved to the middle of the desert, and I'm trying to get a job there, and then I moved back to New York, and you know, that, that bouncing around really showcases the fact that we are military. Um, so I fully appreciate HR professionals who are more conscious 
of looking at the skills and education and experience on the resume versus um, the geographical uh, details on there. Lita, when you you work with uh, placing military spouses and veterans, right? Well, not as a recruiter. I work more on the education side. So helping the military spouses understand how to position themselves and working very closely with HR professionals, recruiters, hiring managers, uh, to understand the value of, as, as Tina was saying, looking at that military resume or that military spouse resume. Well, let me ask you a twofold question. One is, how do you position uh, HR professionals to receive applicants like Tina and Kayla uh, in a in a fair and equitable way, and then the other question would be, what advice do you give to applicants uh, that are military spouses to navigate the somewhat somewhat brutal hiring process? <laughs> <laughs> well, and and it's become even more brutal. Um, to answer the first question is, you know, how do they perceive them or or receive them fairly? You know, I, Jim, I haven't seen recent numbers after this pandemic and, and the new workplace that we're all in now, but the numbers we used to say is that for every open job, a, a typical hiring manager, talent acquisition person, recruiter would see an average of 250 resumes for every open job. Wow. That number has likely scaled upwards, you know, yeah. to ridiculous numbers because there's such an unemployment issue now. So giving each resume the time and attention and care, as Tina was saying, to, to read between the lines and think, is there a story behind the fact that this person has moved a lot? Sometimes that's asking a lot from the person who's receiving that resume or an applicant tracking system online that isn't going to take into consideration that there could be a backstory to this person's candidacy that makes them more valuable. So the, the question I pose to recruiters and talent acquisition folks is, if you're really looking for character as well as skills, then a military spouse resume really should get attention. Um, you, you've got to look for those minimum requirements and hopefully those preferred requirements, but understand that there's a story behind this. And if somebody has moved around a lot, look at the cover letter. Hopefully the military spouse or the veteran has put the explanation of those changes, those stops and starts in the cover letter. But if they haven't, ask yourself, where have they been based, right? Kayla mentioned Texas, New York, California. They're big military presences in those cities or in those states. Is it possible this person was a spouse or was a veteran? Asking those kinds of questions. Because certifications, uh, credentials, you know, experience, it counts for something. But when you can get the, the soft skills, the qualities and the character traits and the values that a military spouse is going to bring, that can offset some certifications. Because I love when employers understand that you can train people on skills, but you can't train them to, to have honor and dignity and discipline and loyalty and respect those typically get baked into somebody who's coming from a military culture. The advice to applicants is make it as easy as possible to for that hiring manager and recruiter and, and talent acquisition person. They are overwhelmed, and especially right now, as all these companies have had to refigure out what new normal looks like, as we're all working from home and companies are trying to figure out how to go back to business as usual, if that's even possible. So if you as an applicant can make it as easy as possible for that reader of your resume to understand your story, then you've given yourself an advantage. That's one thing. Putting in your cover letter why you've moved around, why you didn't complete your certification, what the future might look like to whatever degree you're comfortable Um Give them the understanding so when they're reading your materials, they're not asking those questions. You've already set yourself up for success. And then networking your way in. So many of you, and, and I was blown away by this when I first started working with military spouses, they are so well networked. The, the community of military spouses, I mean, just even to get us to this conversation, Jim, I put it out to one part of my network and all of a sudden this web of contacts comes up. Um, use that network to 
do informational interviews to understand what the company is like, what the industry is like. Find out about the hiring manager you'd be talking to. Position your materials and your online presence to speak to what that company is looking for. Then you're making the job of the hiring manager who sees your resume easier. And really right now they're looking for easier. And I don't blame them. It's overwhelming right now. So hopefully that answered your two-part question. It does indeed. Um, I want to talk about stereotypes a little bit. You know, there are certain stereotypes about military veterans that can be advantageous uh, for a hiring manager. You know, you're talking about disciplined individuals that are, you know, able to follow a chain of command, that are dedicated, brave, all these qualities Um, and and obviously stereotypes can work against you too, but I guess the question is, and you guys have intimated to it a few times, how much, I guess, what are, what are the, the typical skills and values that a spouse can offer? Uh, because I don't think those are as well known. Tina, do you want to start? Sure. Um, I believe that a lot of the spouses are able to mitigate risk and conflict because we're constantly faced with situations and having to handle business for someone else, even if it's just our spouse, having to navigate those issues while they're in Korea, while they're over here, while they're deployed. And then we have to kind of full house party of one, you know, handle everything that in itself is a discipline that in itself is multitasking. You know, you have to talk to different companies. You have to get the powers of attorney. So you have to know the laws and the rules of your new state, of your old state, of your soon to be next state, so that you can handle those things when when that other person isn't home. So that gives you a skill set just baseboard right on its own. And some of these some of these kids, they're they're 18 and they're thrown into this life having to do all of those administrative tasks, not realizing that that's a skill, you know? So that's baseboard, something that military spouses do. And then as we go on and move up and and through over the years, each different job that, that they have, each different duty station brings along different cultures, different kinds of people, different climates and all of that is adaptation to change and the ability to okay now we're now we're in Texas let's go ahead and put on the cowboy hat and go talk to the to the spouses here let's see what kind of businesses thrive here cuz the same businesses and the same cultural climate and business climate of El Paso is not the same as what I experienced in Camp Pendleton, California. (laughs) Definitely not, you know, um, nor would I say if we were to go to one anywhere in New York, would it be the same or North Carolina? So those abilities to adapt to change, to adapt to different cultural, socioeconomic climates, as well as being able to handle a myriad of administrative tasks, regardless of whether it's paid administrative roles or home administrative roles, those kind of skills are something that you can walk into an office day one and be like, hey, yeah, I know about powers of attorney. Hey, I know about this. I know about this. Of course, it's going to be cursory baseline kind of very basic knowledge, but that sets you apart from someone else who knows nothing about what that is. You know how to call 15 businesses in an hour because they didn't send your equipment that they were supposed to send right. within the time frame. So you know how to talk to people. All of these are skills that you get in your normal home life that of course, somebody who's not married to somebody that's been in Korea for a year and has to send his gear back they're not going to know what that's like to talk to people internationally, but you do. And those are skills that as a military spouse, you kind of, it kind of comes with the, with the wedding ring. And those are definite perks. Hmm. Kayla, do you have anything to add? Honestly, Tina hit it right on the head. Um, we as military spouses are conditioned to take on a challenge, any challenge that we face really. 
um, and go at it full force. And there, there's no option but to get it done at the end of the day. So that flexibility, um, being able to adapt to our environment. And um, I mean, everything Tina said was just 100% on point. Jim, I would just... Anecdotally, from um, spouses that I've spoken to, you you meant you started off the question with the idea of, of misperceptions or stereotypes. Yeah. Um, you know, we all think that military spouses are female. Um, that's not true, right. and we sometimes don't realize that many of them also have prior military service themselves. But um, what what both of these women are talking about is resiliency and strength of character and adaptability and tenacity and 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 you could make an argument that a single parent would probably have many of these same types of skills i think where the difference comes in um these these women or these spouses chose a life that has a very unconventional sometimes very challenging path and they chose it out of a sense of patriotism and loyalty to country as well as to their spouse. And I think when you add that layer, it, it just, it just is, is a little bit different than perhaps somebody who found themselves in a, in a challenging role because of nothing that they asked for or something that they didn't choose. I think that just adds a little bit extra. And I'd make that argument. Yeah, yeah well said. Um, a lot of these strengths remind me of HR professionals in general, the strengths they need, the ability to coordinate, to navigate giant bureaucracies, you know, to negotiate uh, different personalities, different cultures. Um, they seem particularly well suited for that specific role. Um, and of course, those are qualities that would be valuable really in, in almost any, any role. Uh, one of the things that yeah, and you're absolutely right about the the under the belief that all military spouses are military wives. I myself had to reprogram how I was talking about these things to stop saying military wives every time and delete it out of my when I was writing about it. It's I mean, it's just one of those things and that can really work against unfortunately work against uh, uh, an applicant. Um and ultimately really against an organization. So one of the things I was curious about is I know the military in general is, a uh, you know, probably the largest bureaucracy we have. Uh, they have services and support for staff, uh, for their veterans. I don't know because I've never been in the military and I guess I don't really have any friends or family that are in the military. Um, what is, what is your interaction as military spouses like with with the military? How much of it is you having to navigate this organization? How much of it is what you would consider to be sort of everyday family stuff? I guess where I'm going with this is that I suspect uh, that there is a lot of coordinating that goes on and a lot of um, community building. Is that the case? I would say it depends on your duty station and your husband's position or your spouse's position. Um, because some, some, my, my husband in particular has been infantry forever. Um, as, as he's moved up, he, he has a little bit more of an administrative role in Korea right now, but, um, those, those kind of spouses, infantry spouses that we tend to latch on to each other because <laughs> it's, it's, it's rough, you know, um, Iraq, Afghanistan, you, you tend to, to latch on to each other and, you know, it's family. You, you need someone to bring dinner over. You need someone to, to sit in the backyard and, and have the kids. Oh, that's great. That's all wonderful for a sense of community, but beyond those worrisome and close-knit interactions of friendship, you also get to know that the lady that hosted that dinner, she has her masters in this, that, or the other. So the younger wives are able to then have that, look what she can do. Look what she's doing. You know, it gives you a different sense of community in that form as well. So it all depends on how the spouses of that unit get together because some of it's fun. Some of it's a lot closer. Um, but I do think that in, in either way, there's that 
network of people that you kind of know who's who around and you get that understanding of that there's more out there for you, if that makes sense in that community. And that in itself makes you want to be more involved with it because you want to be doing what you see these other spouses doing as well. Jim, Jim, if I may just ask um, Tina and Kayla to expand on something. One of the things I heard, and, and it's been said to me many times by spouses, is that online you all network like crazy, right? I mentioned earlier that you're very well networked. Veterans are very well networked. You stay in touch. But that online, there are pockets on Facebook and LinkedIn and these other platforms where you're all supporting each other and sharing resources and giving each other tips and information about careers or family or you know, emotional, uh, mental health. Can you speak a little bit to that? And I'm, I'm sorry, Jim, if I just, no, I'm just sort of jumping that's in. That's kind of where I'm but I think with this is yeah, that's a real for, strength so, and a real value. Well, and for recruiters who aren't paying attention to the fact that these pockets exist, they're missing the conversation. Uh, that's what I've heard. And I would just love to know if, if Tina and Caleb had experience there. I know I've had a little bit of experience as far as, um, you know, social media networking goes. Uh, at a military spouse level. Um, I think they're valuable. I think there are quite a few options. What I will say about it is I think it's finding the right network to attach yourself to. Um, Typically, from my experience, there were some great networks out there when deployment, you know, when we were going through deployment for spouses, um, how we can connect anybody who's heard from their husband or wife or whoever's overseas um, that connectivity, and then you kind of build a bond and a network and that grows from there. Um, also, I know when we moved to a new duty station, which was 29 Palms, California, um, we knew nothing about the area. It was very desolate. There weren't a lot of, you know, job opportunities or, you know, really even opportunities to, um, I don't know how to say, it, connect with with others if you don't really know them and joining Facebook pages that were available there or what was going on or, you know, where the commissary was or where the local dog park is. Those things um, were so extremely valuable valuable when moving to um, an area that I knew nothing about and there was very little research on it. Um, and it didn't really look so bleak when I was when I was looking it up online or trying to find jobs. So I know in that sense, it is definitely very valuable. But what I will say is, you know, you really have to do your research and finding that right um, social media page to connect on. Yeah, I think, you know, what's underlying all of this is for for hiring managers is that maybe the person sitting in front of you or these days on the other side of the screen is not really alone. You know, they have resources and connections. Um, it's not something that necessarily everybody has every, and I'm sure it's true that not every military spouse has those kinds of connections either, but mo- most people, you know, have their sort of small close group of friends for support. Um, there's certain, there's a certain professionality to these networks that you guys are talking about that means that if you're candidate is doesn't have the answer for something in their job or for something they need to solve they know how to get it and that is a very valuable trait i agree with um here in el paso we have fort bliss although my husband's marine corps i do volunteer with the fort bliss hire our heroes and a part of that my role is the social media and marketing coordinator for hire our heroes fort bliss so i help with our facebook page And as you mentioned, there's a lot of people that come on there to be like, hey, I was offered a job doing this, paying this. What do you guys think? You know, or, hey, I'm looking for something doing graphic design. Does anybody know of any openings or do you know like what certifications are valuable here? And those kind of questions and those kind of feedbacks, because in our groups, Um, specifically this Facebook group, you have everybody, you have lawyers, you have doctors, you have graphic designers, real estate agents, recruiters, HR people. So you have everybody able to kind of look at the post and be like, 
yeah, that's, that's what they pay here. Or yeah, you know, if you were to get this certification, that certification, that certification, you'd be golden in this market. And I think that that really helps that kind of network, that kind of feedback. People um, very frequently offer to look at your resume. Hey, I'll look, I'll look at that for you. I work in that industry. Let me see what you're working with so that I can give you some constructive feedback as how to make it more marketable or let you know what you need to do going forward to be more marketable. That's completely invaluable. And that is, that's golden. Yeah. Well said. Um, I want to briefly switch to, you know, I was doing research for a similar topic that the one that gave me the idea to do this podcast episode and uh, the gentleman that I were I was talking to is saying that the number one problem, uh, difficulty and reason that people don't hire military spouses and, and veterans too, is the time, the time frame is that they're, and we talked about that today, that they're probably going to move, you know, if someone redeploys, they're going to probably have to go somewhere else or disappear for veterans. I can, I can understand the hesitation because it's not, you know, if they're, or for, you know, um, military personnel, they're going to literally be gone if they have to go get deployed. For spouses, there's they might be in a new place, but they're still there and they're probably still available. And what's changed over the last year is that so much work has gone remote and gone online. Um, so I wanted to talk about has that major problem kind of vanished or or been accounted for now that now that so many organizations have been forced to hire and operate online. Um, Jim, I'll jump in real quick. Uh, and, and I'm glad you brought that up because that was one of the notes I was hoping we would get to. So somebody who's active duty isn't going to be applying for work right now. So the risk right. of them being deployed isn't, um, they're active duty. So they're, they're in the military. Now, if they're doing an internship or a fellowship, that's one thing. Or if you're speaking about reserves, reserve duty, yes, right. you, you could very well get called up. Um, but somebody who's a veteran has exited the military. So there shouldn't be any, <laughs> no, no, that's okay. That's okay. That's, that's where some of this gets a little confusing, but, but your point is a hundred percent spot on. And I know that Tina and Kayla have both referenced, you know, Hey, we could get moved into two and a half years. That should be changing because if we look across military, non-military, how many people are living right now in the city that they work in? Very few. Yeah. The big cities like New York, San Francisco, Los Angeles, I mean, those companies are still operating, but their employees are in Iowa and Montana and, and wherever the family is. So what that's going to look like when everybody goes back to work and we need you to show up at the office, who knows? But what I've heard, and I'm not in the HR community, I just work closely, is that this remote work thing kind of got into a groove and a lot of companies are liking the fact that they can they can work cross-functionally they can get teams together more nimbly and and people are enjoying some of the benefits of working from home so i i I don't know if if there's been any massive decision that once we all get the all clear and we can go back to to life as usual that that everyone will stop remote working. And so for the military spouse, that's not a, that's not a burden anymore because as Kayla said, if you get shipped, you know, to a different city or a different country, assuming you can work around time, time zones and, and any cultural challenges, you can still work. And so there can be more continuity and that's something that companies have learned this year, but I would love to hear from, from the other ladies as well. Yeah. Tina, why don't we start with you since you actually do recruiting Unfortunately, it's not that progressive yet. Now, a lot of emergency work from home stuff went on and that was that was great. Um, and there are a lot of people who are completely against going back. Like it, it, even even once it's all clear, once this whole thing's eradicated, gone, done, it's still very much um, a no. For most people, they're like, hey, we've proved that we can work from home and that we can do this efficiently and with the same kind of results, same productivity. However, a lot of companies that are hiring right now and um, a lot of positions that are available remotely still have that attachment of 
must be in this area, uh, must be within like a 50 mile radius of the home office or, you know, must be able to commute to the satellite right. office one or two days a week. Um, so there's still that issue of being local or at least local ish to these positions. Um, and I would say that some of the entry level positions were more or less swallowed by those a little bit higher up because they can't train fully on a remote basis for some of these positions. So that's something I definitely look forward to in the future to allow more flexibility. But even up until this point, um, there's been some, some wives that I've talked to recently or some spouses, I should say that I've talked to recently that were released from their position because they moved away. So even though it's remote, it sounds absolutely mm. ridiculous that they can't pass that they can't take the job with them. However, they have that requirement that they must be in the area to be able to offer some services to the office if needed. Yeah. Um, Kayla, before we hear from you, it's uh it's one of those things that makes my blood boil um, as someone who's been doing this for six years. Because all the research and evidence and professionals and thought leaders have been saying remote work is inevitable. It is in almost every way superior to in-person work, though there are concerns. It just, you know, and I've, I've been following this very closely because there's just, you're right. Like, why? There's no point. I'm not going to get anything out of going in the office other than maybe a panic attack about getting COVID, even when this is all over, because it's not really going to ever be over. Uh, not in the way that people think. It's just a little disheartening to hear, and I've been seeing this a lot of places, how many organizations are still sticking to that regionality. And, and it's like your talent, the companies that are, are getting good at this, they're getting good at remote, that are going full remote permanently, are the top tech companies and the top the top performing companies in the country and in the world. And they're snapping up talent where the talent is. So when small, mid-sized businesses and even large companies that aren't on board with this idea of genuinely and, and thoroughly embracing remote work, your competition is now global. Your, your talent pool is now, if you're going to limit it to your regionality, is smaller and smaller and smaller as those people get snapped up by other organizations. And while many organizations have shrunk since COVID started, many others have not. So you're seeing certain industries where someone that never would have been considered before because they're so far away is getting reached out to um, by larger organizations. It just seems like people really need to figure figure that out. Um, it's this. But, but don't, don't you think, though, Jim? Though some of that has to do with what the industry or course. what the company is, yes. right? So if you're customer facing and, and you have people interacting in person. That's hard to do on the phone. And there there have been reports that some of the customer service facing um, companies are suffering because people don't like to talk to somebody on the phone. They want to speak to a human. Um, but but yeah, to, if you're an independent contractor versus a W-2, I mean, there's all sorts of differences. You know, as someone that's looking, you know, like a military spouse that's looking for remote work as a solution to this not getting hired problem, um, they sh- you know, they should be targeting uh, industries that do work better fully remote, you know, um, I don't know. It just seems like such a letdown here. You have this, like this group of great people and they're still being limited by archaic notions of what work means. I, I can't, you know, if you're looking for remote work as a solution to the problem, you're not going to be looking for meatpacking jobs or, you know, um, you're going to be looking for something that truly can be remote and, and I've been seeing it everywhere. Recruiters in particular um, have a whole new language for talking about how their job is remote, but really isn't remote. Kayla, um, sorry we jumped in there so much. Do you have anything to add to this topic? Um, no, not really. I mean, it's nice hearing Tina's perspective. She really kind of went in on it. I can speak to my experience. Of course. Go ahead. Um, so 
I graduated from UNC Wilmington in 2015, and then a few months later, we received, or my husband, received orders for um, 29 Palms, California. So a few months after graduating college, we moved to the desert, and I searched for months and months and months, and there were no opportunities there. And I then started to go full force into searching for um, virtual opportunities, virtual employment. And again, there was nothing, there was, there was nothing, um, at least that adhered to my skill set that I learned from my degree. Um, so I know the frustration and the total and utter disappointment. And like, I've worked so hard to get my degree, you know, especially as a military spouse and, you know, working and deployments and all of this stuff. And what was that for? Was for nothing because I can't find anything. I can't even find anything online. Um, so what do I do now? And I, I mean, I eventually was very, very, very fortunate to um, have landed a position at the local community college in Joshua Tree, um, which was amazing. But I always think if I, if I hadn't had, if I hadn't had had that pro- opportunity, what, what would have happened for me? Where would you know? Where would I be today? And my hope is that with, you know, with the, all the horrible things that came with COVID, uh, COVID-19 and this pandemic, my hope is that this will open employers' eyes to the um, virtual possibilities of employment. And hopefully that will expand opportunities for, for these military spouses, because we are eager, we are looking, and we are ready. I hope that too. We're sort of getting to the end here, but what are we missing? What are we not talking about? Well, I think Kayla touched on a really resonating spot of that hopelessness that spouses often feel. I have my degree. Like there's some that get that get their associates move. Okay, well, more education then. Bachelors then move. Oh, well, I guess more education then. Masters. And then they're there sitting there with the masters pretty holding it in their hand. And they look around like, all right, employers, come get me. I'm here. And cricket. <laughs> there, there's there's nobody there to, to call on them. And then they start knocking doors down. They start kicking doors in. And still, oh, sure, you can volunteer with the well, No, no, pay me. And, and that's, that's one of the things that, that I definitely hear within our community of spouses is that they, they've done all this. They, they've, they've got the education. They, they volunteered to, till, till their eyes bled and they now want a paid position, you know, especially those of us that, that have our spouse retiring around the corner, all of those military benefits, all of that, the BAH, BAS, all of that fun stuff, TRICARE is about to float away um, because that time is over. So what are we going to do? You know, especially if your spouse is in one of those positions that's not 100% employable in a high income bracket, you both start to look at each other like, what are we going to do? And the spouse does become a little a little upset about that. And, and it is a little depressing when you look around and look at all the education you have, all of the mix of experience and nobody's calling you back. No, nobody wants to hire, not here, not there, not near or far because it just doesn't hit each wicket that the HR professional is looking for. And I think that that's where we need to, you know, have better vision when it comes to these positions that we can't be so close-minded and look at things in a perfectionist view because some of the best people that I've hired probably shouldn't have been hired based on what it said on paper (laughs) but they were loyal because I gave them a chance they worked hard because I gave them a chance they they pushed boundaries they 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 worked hard and they did the best work because they were hungry for it and i think that that's something as hr professionals we need to kind of look within and look around and really take that to heart that the ats is awesome and of course it it streamlines stuff but it's not the be all end all and there's a lot of 
people out there that have just graduated from college, but that's not just what they're capable of. It's not a just this or that. There's there's people that, as we've mentioned throughout this this podcast, that have a plethora of experiences prior to getting that degree. So even though they just graduated, I implore HR professionals to just give them a chance and at least talk to them for five minutes. It's really important in, in every case. I mean, if we, if you talk to the professionals and you read the research, resumes aren't really worth much for how they express the value. They don't tell you anything about how that person's going to fit in with the culture. They don't tell you whether that person has good soft skills or not. I mean, anyone can say that, you know, on their list of qualities that they are a leader, but that doesn't mean that they are, you know, um, and yet so many organizations are trapped in this old system of, oh, we put out the call for applicants, we get all the resumes, we, our ATS eliminates the 90% of them because they said these words on it. And, uh, you know, we, we shove a bunch of interviews into a week somewhere. It's just, there's a certain tragedy, really. In, in how it's operated now. And that value that you bring up of loyalty because someone gave you a chance is something that I'm intimately familiar with. I graduated, uh, I got my master's degree in literature in 2011. Um, the economy was still in tatters. No one was hiring in academia, which is what I was going for. Um, no one was hiring anywhere. I couldn't even get a job at a gas station, you know, um, which shouldn't be a problem. They would say, well, why do you have a master's degree? What are you doing here? I actually knew a gas station attendant who had a PhD. Um, not that there's anything wrong with working those jobs. It's just like my qualifications were not for that. I still couldn't get them. And when I did finally get a job in something utterly unrelated to what, what my uh, career or my uh, education was, I busted my ass because because I was given a shot and I eventually did was able to turn it into this job into the same organization um, where, where I belong, you know, and that's very valuable. Um, Jim, I, I would just add, you know, a couple things um, that you said, what, what hasn't been said or what do we really want to put a fine point on? I think to the hiring managers and recruiters it, or the HR professionals, it really is making the ask to, I think it was Tina that said, kind of look beyond what's showing up on a resume. To your point, I'm not a fan of resumes. In every book I've written, it's funny. My publishers are like, why do you have to make the point that you don't like resumes? Um, it's like, because it's, it's <laughs> resumes look backwards. They don't look forwards. And branding and, and reputation is all about forward. It's all about what can I do? What do I bring that's valuable? And how am I going to connect with my target audience? And a resume doesn't show that. But if, an, if, if a hiring manager can just take an extra few minutes, if they see something that looks like a military spouse, just ask yourself some bigger questions. What could this person bring that they're not putting on the resume? What am I not understanding? And how can I ask questions about that that are appropriate and, and valid? And, and really sort of peel the onion back a little bit because you, you might find a gem. But my real message would be to those spouses out there who might be listening to this, who might be in HR or who might be struggling with some of the things we've talked about. And that is to think about a career and not just a job. I had a coaching call the other day with a woman who is a military spouse. And all she talked about was how she was looking forward to supporting her husband and and he was about to retire and, and what that meant. And that is so typical of a military spouse, right? Being in that support role because you've signed up and raised your hand and you're patriotic and you know supporting your spouse and making sure they, you know, have the have the mental fortitude to come back safely is your duty and you take care of things and you don't complain and now it's your time. And so my ask would be to the spouses out there to really think about what you want, not just in terms of a paycheck or a set of, you know, job requirements that check some boxes, but really dream and ideate. Because I think when you can get into that space, 
and you can map out your dreams and your goals and your big vision for, for your life with what the industries and the companies are going through right now, you can find those opportunities. And maybe you have to bring an idea to a company that doesn't have an open position, but it maps beautifully with what you're looking for and what they need in terms of value. That's where magic happens. And in the same advice I would give to somebody exiting the military who says, I'm just looking for a job, jobs jobs are where we find turnover. Jobs are where retention struggles. But if you see it as a career, if you can really think about your passion, your skills, your goals, your brand, mapping closely with what a company and an industry is looking for, that's where you make the hiring manager's job easy. And you can find synergy that takes you beyond just a paycheck. So, and I think our spouses deserve that because they've done, they've done work that will never get them the kind of credit they deserve. Yeah, really well said. Um, anyone else have any final thoughts? I'll just add, cause it kind of caveats off of what Lita had just mentioned about spouses finding their career and being innovative in it and the importance of of really focusing more on the career versus the job. My husband was the, you know, his career was the primary career uh, throughout our entire marriage for the first, what, seven years of our marriage. And um, when he, when he um, was honorably discharged, then it, that role fell on me. And then I was the the lead career in the relationship and, you know, the family, actually. And so I'm so grateful that I kept pushing and that somebody took a chance on me. And um, then when, you know, he he got out and we moved back to New York, I'm, you know, extremely grateful to now be employed by an employer that actually values my military spouse experience, which is something that I didn't even realize was, you know, in existence. So I, I just want to speak to, uh, to what Lita was saying and, and really the importance of it. Cause I don't know where I would be if I wasn't more career focused and, and pushed hard on that. So. Um, well, thank you so much, Lita, Tina and Kayla for, uh, for joining us today. I really enjoyed our conversation. Thank you for the opportunity to speak on this. Likewise. Thank you. Absolutely. I hope that, I hope it makes a difference. Um, Listeners, we're always interested in suggestions you might have for what HRWorks should cover next. Please feel free to reach out to us on Twitter at HRWorks Podcast. With any thoughts or concerns you have about the podcast in general, or just to say hi. Thank you for listening. This is Jim Davis with HRWorks.